This is episode 279 with five-time D1 All-American World Mountain Running Champ and two-time U.S. Mountain Running Champion, Grayson Murphy. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is about how one of the best runners in the world approaches consistent injuries. Joining me is track, trail, and mountain running star Grayson Murphy, who will walk us through her year of injuries, how she's treating them, and how she's coped mentally. If you're new here, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, or you can find me on Instagram at jasonfitz1. Our home base is strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world, no matter how fast they are, with our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and our suite of training programs to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Learn more about those at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. We are supported by Inside Tracker, created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data. Inside Tracker provides a personalized health analysis from the most relevant source, your own body. Get your blood tested to find the rate at which you're aging, recommendations to optimize your health, and any physiological red flags that might negatively impact your running. Now you can get 20% off their entire store at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning with code strengthrunning. Get yours at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning for 20% off. We're also supported by my favorite electrolyte company, Element. Prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness with Element. And now they're offering you a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. They'll send you a sample pack with one packet of each flavor so you can try them all out before committing. I love Element. Almost all their flavors are good, while I definitely love the watermelon and citrus flavors. Wonderful for before running, during running, right after running, or the morning after you've had one too many adult beverages. Go to drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to claim your free gift. Joining us today is Grayson Murphy, the 2019 World Mountain Running Champion and the 2019 and 2021 U.S. Mountain Running Champion. She boasts PRs of 15.25 for 5K, 9.25 in the 3,000-meter steeplechase, and 113.13 for the half marathon. She's not just a runner, however. Grayson is currently working on a master's degree in sustainable natural resources from Oregon State University, and she owns her own small business, selling her self-designed training log and planner. We're going to talk about the very up and down year that Grayson has just had, including her two injuries, how she's treating them, the cross training that she relied upon, and how she's getting back into top form. It's rare that we get to hear from an elite athlete on all the things that aren't going well with their running. This is such an important way of recognizing that even elites struggle with the same issues the rest of us do. And if you are someone who struggles with injuries, don't miss my best injury prevention advice at strengthrunning.com prevention. Now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Grayson Murphy. Well, happy belated Thanksgiving, Grayson. Let's start with that. Thank you. You too. Uh, I know you've been struggling with some injuries, so no turkey trot this year. Is that right? No, I did run, but it was not in a race or anything. I just ran with my best friend and roommate for her run. So I'm sure that felt amazing, right? It did. Yeah. It's been fun to get back to running after so long away. I know. it's it's You really value your run when you can't run. And as soon yeah. as you can start running again, you're like, oh my God, that four mile run was such a shot of adrenaline. I've been missing that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about some of these injuries that you've experienced this year. Uh, you know, I think a lot of runners think that 
the life of a pro runner is all beautiful trail runs and sitting with your feet up in some recovery boots. But, you know, even elite athletes get hurt. So mm -hmm. can you just tell us a little bit about what you've experienced this year? Yeah, this year has been a roller coaster for sure. Um, and not anywhere near the year I was hoping it would be. So that's been disappointing. Um, but the first injury that I had was a torn planter uh, fascia. And I, it had been hurting for a while. So I'd had kind of plantar fasciitis at one point, probably in January. And this is kind of my like Achilles heel for me. This like is a recurring, this is like my thing, like that I always get injured and usually I can manage it. Um, but this year I just was a little stubborn and kept running on it, running on it, running on it till I got to where it tore. Um, and luckily, luckily and unluckily, I've heard it can be better if it tears all the way off because it's a lot less painful at that point. So mine did not tear all the way off the bone. Um, so it was very painful and spent a long time trying to like kind of manage it while I was running. And then it just got to where I couldn't, um, keep man, it, it was out of control. And so took the decision to take some time off and it ended up being like kind of a nerve issue as well. So kind of like sifting through the different types of pain was an interesting experience. And I've learned a lot about pain this year. So if there's like one silver lining, um, I've learned a lot about pain science and pain. So I do have some takeaways, but <laughs> it took quite a while to get that kind of running. And I was trying to get ready for some races because it happened probably the most unideal time it could have happened. So I was trying to cross train through everything. And that kind of led to a hip injury that kind of stemmed from the foot injury um, from running funny and yeah. So then after that, I was like, my body is telling me to stop and I need to like figure this out. Um, so I'm not in this injury cycle of like one thing after another. We just need to stop and nip it in the bud and get to the cause of this and then we can start over. So that's where I'm at now is the start over point. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds tough, especially when you deal with two injuries that sort of happen one right after the other. Do you know exactly what was going on with your hip? Was it was it just like debilitating soreness or did you have a firm diagnosis on what was happening? Yeah, so that is the most frustrating part is I still have yet to get a diagnosis on the hip. I've had, I've seen so many um, physios ad nauseum and had so many MRIs and nothing structurally seems to be wrong, which is both good and frustrating because there's no clear answer. Um, but it wasn't pain actually that was like stopping me there. It was numb. Like I couldn't feel my hip capsule would kind of go dead. And then I felt like I couldn't use or move my leg. Um, and that was really scary, especially on like technical downhill running because I couldn't tell where my leg was going or where it was landing. And I was tripping a lot and it was just super strange and the pain was like pretty low level with that. So yeah, still don't really know what happened, but lifting heavy and yoga has seemed to be getting everything to like wake up again and form new neural pathways that somehow got lost. I can't imagine how frustrating that is to, to number one, not have a diagnosis on what is actually going on with your hip. And also just to have sort of sort of a weird injury, right? Like it, it it's a little strange to have like your hip go numb in the socket and then not really understand how your foot's landing on the ground. I mean, the only time I've ever experienced that is when I'm running when it's like zero degrees and you know, the yeah. first mile my feet are a little numb and it yeah. just feels really off. But that kind of experience would really throw you off. Um and I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the cross training that you were doing when you were initially injured, because, you know, I've been following you on Instagram for quite a while and, you know, you're always throwing up stand up paddle boarding videos and you're out on hikes and you're riding your bike and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, 
So what was your approach to cross-training and and how do you think it might have contributed to the hip issue? I guess um, so. my approach to cross-training was at the beginning, like just kind of to stay sane with the first couple weeks of taking off of running for my foot. And then it was, okay, now I have races coming up, so I need to get fit somehow but I can't really run right now. So we're going to just switch everything to cycling for the most part. Um, I did do a couple other things like sup and roller skiing. That was like pretty fun and super dangerous. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Can we time out and just talk about roller skiing? It sounds like you can't ski on wheels because there's snow, but can you educate me on this? Yeah, so so for backstory, my fiance is a professional Nordic skier. So this is what they do like in the summer for dry land training. Um and basically they're like I don't know, two feet long, yay big, and they have two wheels on them. So kind of like rollerblades, not really. And then you wear your normal ski boots and they clip in, so it's like a ski just short on wheels and then you ski on the road. Um, because there's no snow, so you're on pavement and you have poles and it's just like skiing on the road, but it's super dangerous because there's no brakes on them and you get going like pretty fast. Like I, I got up to 35 miles per hour on them. (laughs) Oh my Um, God. So if you wipe out, like people get every summer, someone wipes out on the ski team and like is destroyed, but (laughs) it's a great workout. So (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like, you know, if if a skateboard had a baby with some rollerblades and somehow skis were involved, you know, you'd have yeah. these weird roller skis. Yeah. So, okay, I, I got really excited about roller skiing, <laughs> but you were talking about some of the cross training that you were doing to to help yourself stay fit. Yeah, so I was cycling a lot, um, up to 15 hours a week. And that was, I really enjoy cycling, so it wasn't bad. And um, I think if I had been trying to run like a track or road race, it wouldn't have worked. But I think because I was trying to do the pretty steep uh, mountain races, it translated pretty well. So that made me feel more comfortable with, it was pretty much 90% cycling, 10% running um, for three months, two and a half months. Um, So there's very little running involved, like some walk jogs, but it was pretty much all cycling and kind of like some longer efforts. I tried to almost emulate just like how you would with a running plan where you've got two general like workouts per week, a longer long run or long ride for the week and then fill in with easy rides. And that's kind of my general plan with it. And it, it seemed to work. I felt like actually really good in Italy and won that race. So and moving forward, I'm definitely going to keep cycling as part of my training um, to supplement the volume because I think it keeps me both uninjured and not bored. And for me, not being bored is like key, I think. Yeah, I have a road bike and I love getting out there and just feeling some speed. I don't know. It's I'm a runner. I like to run fast. I like to ride my bike fast. It's just so thrilling. Yeah. Was it the cycling or or some of the other cross training that you think affected your hip? Um, not really. I don't think. I think I had been running because the hip started when my foot like was at its worst. Is when my hip thing started. So I do think that that like it wasn't the cause. I think that not resting definitely didn't let it heal necessarily. Um, but I don't know that the biking like directly caused anything. Yeah. So I'd love to talk about your perspective on complete rest when you have an injury versus active recovery. Because I think, you know, complete rest is certainly needed sometimes, but in general, active recovery is usually better. But I think we have a situation right now where, you know, like you said, maybe you needed a little bit more complete rest right at the beginning before you got into more cross training. So how do you kind of thread that needle? Cause, cause it can be difficult to know what exactly to do. You know, should I get on the bike? Should I take today off? How long should I take off? Like what's your thinking process behind that? I think it's such a individual and case by case basis, um, that you kind of have to 
decide. So like with me in the foot, I tried active recovery and then my hip didn't get better. So then at that point, we were like, okay, now we try what we haven't tried yet, which is full rest. And I did take a month completely off of all running and cross training. Um, So I think you kind of have to like go from there. And it's kind of like one of those choose your own adventure books or like a decision tree. So if you decide to try active recovery, I think you need to have a cutoff point that you're going to like reassess. Is this working? Am I improving? Or do I need to try something else now and then go from there? Um, And then at some, like I wasn't really burnt out mentally either. So I think that's part of why I wanted to continue with active recovery. Whereas if I had been super burnt out mentally, I think I would have been like, let's just take a break now, which is ended up what I did before Thailand. So yeah, I think it just like really, there's so many factors that you need to weigh and it's super hard even as a pro. Um, like if anyone is struggling with that, don't feel bad because I think everyone that runs has the same thoughts and goes through the same back and forth in their mind of what is right to do. Yeah, for sure. And you also have access to lots of different physical therapists and coaches and some real subject matter experts who would be able to help you. And it's still a very difficult question for you to answer. So I can see how it, it can just be enormously frustrating for 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 a lot of folks. Um, you know, I want to talk about this issue of pain. Before we get into that, I, I'd love to hear just kind of generally speaking, you know, when you start to feel like something is off, like a niggle is starting to evolve into a more serious injury, what's the game plan there? And not necessarily what you did this year, but just your thinking process about, hey, I'm out on a run or I'm doing a workout. Something feels a little weird and and it's not like a normal, like little soreness that you think you can just shake off with another five or 10 minutes of running. It's actually something that shouldn't feel the way that it does. Like, how do you go about dealing with something like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the first thing I always do is write it down in my training log, like, and make sure to be specific. Is it my left or right foot and exactly what hurt and like about the pain scale? Like, was it a 10 or was it a two? Just so I know, because I've definitely had times too, where I'm like, was it my left or right foot that hurt last week? I can't remember. So now I make sure to be really good at writing it down. Um, so I know, and I can go back and also see the exact day it started hurting. Cause I think sometimes you might go a week or two and it doesn't hurt and then it hurts again. And you want to know like your timeline and maybe you did something both of those days that would contribute to it. Um, so that's like the first step of my problem solving process. And then next is like, don't panic right away. Um, and just kind of like self-assess and self-treat at home and see if you can't find out like, is there a spot that hurts in particular to roll out? Is something like super tight that I didn't notice? Kind of like an exploratory search um, when I get home and then kind of keep an eye on it. And if it gets worse, then involve a professional. And if not, just, yeah, kind of keep going from there. But yeah, I would say too, even though I do have access to a lot of really great physios. I've learned with this injury that I know my body best also. Um, so even though they might say something, just because they're a professional, that doesn't mean they're right all the time. And I can still have the autonomy to be like, no, that's not correct. Um, that's not what I feel. And that's been a hard thing to like get confidence in because you want to trust these people they went to school for this but at the end of the day like I know what it feels like and no one else does yeah I'm really glad you brought that up because I I think a lot of runners cede their autonomy to a physio or a physical therapist who might be telling them things about their body that that aren't necessarily true and you know as a PT you, you know sort of like the general contours of why these injuries occur and how to treat them. But like you were talking earlier about how this kind this thing really does require uh, an individual approach and a case by case approach. You know, let's just make sure that we're not 
taking every single thing that a PT says as gospel, you know, on faith, because at the end of the day, you, I think, are the singular best expert on your own body, not a PT. So you really have to kind of take that into heart. Right. Grayson, there was also something that you said that I wanted to hit on that I, I think was really important. You've talked about reassessing as you are treating an injury. You're also kind of mentioned this treatment approach as a problem-solving endeavor. And, and I think this idea of constantly reassessing and evaluating how your treatment is going is a really important one because at the end of the day, you are trying to like solve a mystery. You're a little bit of like an investigator. You know, what's wrong? How do I fix it? Are these treatment strategies that are available to me are they actually doing me any good? You know, am I actually getting what I want from these strategies? And so I think it's really important to kind of hammer that home that this is an amorphous problem. We don't really have a set solution. And we've got to really put on our scientist hat, conduct a bunch of experiments and really try to solve this problem. So I think it's really valuable that you brought that perspective out right now. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely troubleshooting. Um, even like I said, with the physios, they're experts, but you're an expert in your body. So it's the two of you like troubleshooting together something. Um, and you got to reassess because if it's not working, you need to try something else. And just because one thing worked for one person doesn't mean it will work for someone else either. And yeah, I think learning like what treatments your body responds to and what they it doesn't, I think has been helpful and being able to say no to when you know, like, that's not what I think or the way I want to go with it, I think is important too. Yeah, for sure. Um, thinking of your PT and yourself as sort of like a partnership, you know, we are working together to get me healthy, I think is a much healthier perspective on that relationship. Because if you go in there and just think your PT is, is, you know, a savant and is going to cure you with a couple of manual manipulations or something like that, you're probably going to leave disappointed. And I think taking some responsibility for your own treatment, you know, telling the PT, no, that's not what I'm feeling, or I really don't think this is working for me, can leave you with a much more productive PT experience. And you're probably going to get out there on the road a little bit sooner and you can get started with running a little bit sooner. So I think that's a no brainer. Now, with your plantar fascia, did, did you get surgery on that? Because I know tearing it can sometimes be serious. No, yeah. So mine wasn't all the way torn. It was three centimeters. Um, so like more than half, I think, but not all the way off the bone. And I just did the one thing that helped the most actually was PEMF for me. Um, and I have a video on that, but <laughs> that was, I think because of the nerve we found out, I think I had an entrapped nerve as well. And that was where the majority of the pain was coming from was that entrapped nerve. Um, so figuring that out and sifting through, like I said, the pain feelings, cause there was a torn ligament or torn fascia feeling, but there was also like a pain that didn't feel like that, but it was still intense. Um, but it was like a different pain. I would describe it a lot differently. And learning that helped us realize like, okay, the fascia is healing, but we need to get the nerve not trapped anymore. And I think the PMF like really did the trick, but I've had like, I've had so many things done to my foot. I've done shockwave, dry needling, um, manual manipulation, you name it, it's happened. So I knew at that point that those modalities weren't going to be like what helped me the most. So going into this injury, I knew like, okay, we're not going to do those because those didn't help. I tore it also three years ago and it didn't help then. So I knew like, okay, we're going to start with new things now because we've learned through this process what works and what doesn't already. Yeah. Can, can you give us a definition for PEMF? I don't remember the, um, it's like electromagnetic field. I don't remember the acronym, but it's like a plate and it sends electromagnetism through you. Um, and it like really cut down on the inflammation, I think, in the tissues that were really like holding the nerve trapped down. 
yeah, I, I just looked it up. It's pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. So it's basically, it, it's a little bit like ultrasound, you know, getting, getting a, a little bit of ultrasound waves kind of, you know, shot into your muscle cells to, to activate them a little bit more. Uh, so it's very similar to that, but I like what you said about not only are you learning about how to treat your injury during the injury, but also from injury to injury. So you've already had a plantar fascia injury. You went through a bunch of different treatment options. You figured out what worked, what didn't work. And now your approach is even more informed and educated based on what worked last time. So I think that's just a a really helpful approach if you're dealing with a, a recurring injury, you know, like your, your Achilles heel. Yeah. If, if there's any silver lining for uh, recurring injuries, it's that you can learn how to deal with them. Hopefully if you are cognizant about what you're doing so that the next time it happens, it's not as hopefully bad as the first time. For sure. You know, for me, it's IT band syndrome and I know (laughs) what causes it. I know what bothers it. I know how to treat it right away. And so I haven't really had a serious IT band injury in a very long time, even though I can kind of feel it from time to time because I know exactly what to do. And that's really helped me stay healthy over the years. Um, Grayson, let's talk a little bit more about pain. Uh, You know, I was, I was on your Instagram profile and you know, you had a post talking about pain and you mentioned something that you become acquainted with the strange science of pain. And I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I think um, through this process and I've been lucky to have like, I think I've seen 12 physios or at least contacted them. So it's been nice to have everyone's perspective on pain and kind of learn about pain science. But um, it's interesting that it doesn't have to be like with my hip, for example. I wasn't necessarily feeling pain, but I also couldn't feel my hip. And that could be pain in a way that like my body is sensing something is injured and is just like, okay, we're not going to feel this area anymore. Like we're protecting it, but we're shutting it off. Um, And then learning like the difference between nerve pain and a torn fascia pain was interesting because to me like when I think nerve pain I think of uh I've had shingles twice so like I know what that feels like and it's kind of like a burning um or when you are getting dry needled if like I'm sure everyone has accidentally had their nerve like hit a couple times and it's like a zing of electricity but this was like a throbbing different kind of pain that I didn't know was nerve pain. Um, So like learning that was interesting and that your brain can have so much to do with like the pain that you feel. And I hate it when people say, well, it's in your head because it's, it might be in your head, but not in the way that like you're making it up. Like the pain could be very real. It's not fake if you're feeling it, but the way that you perceive it could be different. And the way that your brain perceives physical pain could manifest differently when like you feel the pain where like my hip, I don't feel pain, but my brain sending pain signal. So yeah, learning about all of that was interesting and um, kind of eye opening too. And like from a mental side of things, I think moving forward was a little helpful to learn like, okay, you can trust your hip again. Like you need to trust it. You can't think, that it's injured and that you're going to tear something or that it's in pain. You need to trust it deliberately, even if your brain's telling you not to. So sometimes you do have to override the pain signals too. And that's interesting. Um, And it's still like not in my head because something is wrong with my hip, but it's in your head in a way that like your brain is really powerful, I think, and can kind of like get to get involved in it. Yeah, if that made any sense (laughs) to you. No, it made a lot of sense to me. And you know, Grayson, I tend to think that everything is in your head. You know, that is where you experience life, right? Your consciousness is is just pretty much in your head. It's your brain's interpretation of what's going on around you, of what your body is experiencing. So, you know, you can have two people experiencing 
exactly the same stimulus and they experience it in very different ways. And that's basically just their brain's interpretation of whatever that stimulus might be. So, you know, it's like, yeah, it's in your head, but you're kind of missing the point, you know, like everything's in your head and that doesn't mean it's not real. It's of course real, you know, it's like, you know, uh, heartache, you know, that's in your head, but that is also very real too. Yeah. Yeah. I think the worst question that I got really fed up with and kind of what started the pain conversation was I kept getting asked like on a scale of one to 10, what is your pain? And I'm like, what, what's our scale based on? Like is what's a zero and what's a 10? Like (laughs) I need parameters because for me, a 10 might not be your 10. And for me, a five might be someone else's like two or eight. Like it's so different. And that was really hard for me to explain to someone else. Cause I'd had a lot of physios be like, well, if it's like a three or less, you can run on your foot. And I'm thinking like, what's a three? Is that a paper cut? Is that a, like I stubbed my toe? Like what is a three like? So that was hard too. And I, I've decided I don't like the pain scale because it's so subjective and it's for me, I didn't ever feel like it conveyed um, like what I was feeling accurately because I realized too, I was calling something a three that probably was like an eight or a nine um, <laughs> once it went away. <laughs> I was like, that didn't help at all. <laughs> I mean, how cliche, right? Like the runner with the high pain tolerance, yeah. you know, I've, I've gotten that myself too. I remember when, uh, you know, we were in childbirth classes and one of the strategies is to hold a piece of ice in your hand for as long as you could. And the runners in the room are holding that ice for longer than anybody else. And they're like, well, it's not really that uncomfortable. We had to come up with a whole new test to try to, you know, experience a little bit of pain for a long period of time. So I think that's kind of funny. Grayson, can you talk a little bit about the difference between nerve pain and more physical, you know, musculoskeletal pain? Because I think, you know, this whole rate your pain on a scale of one to 10, that is much more common for physical pain. And and I don't know if that's as effective when we're talking about nerve pain. And I also know that, you know, I've never personally experienced any nerve pain to my knowledge. And so I think it can be hard for people to differentiate between the two. Do you have any like, you know, a, a quick framework for how to tell if what you're experiencing is physical or nerve pain? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say like you could have a nerve pain that's like shingles, um, which is, it feels kind of like burning or, you know, when you get the flu and even soft things feel like they hurt your skin or you can't touch anything um, kind of like a body ache, but it's like your skin, the feeling of that. It's similar to that if it was concentrated in one area and just turn the dial up on it where it's just so sensitive. You can't, any touch is like overstimulation. And then, uh, so there's that kind of nerve pain. And then the nerve pain, my foot was like a throbbing, very intense. Like there are times I couldn't, I just had to sit there and like look up. Um, But it would, I think what ultimately led me to find out was nerve pain was the situations in which it would happen. Um, It would happen like after runs, I could tell it was annoyed, but it wasn't crazy. But then there would be times I'd be just sitting watching TV at the end of the day. I've been sitting for a couple hours and all of a sudden just out of the blue, stabbing throbbing pain in one tiny spot on my foot that would kind of radiate up. Um, and I think like that was weird because muscle pain, you can usually at least feel the spot too. Um, if there's a soreness or kind of inflammation and this didn't have any of that. And I was unable to reproduce that pain. I never was able to reproduce it other than when it occurred. And I feel like Generally, I'd say a good rule of thumb with muscle pain, you can reproduce something close to it by doing something to it. Yeah, I I like that. I think it's often very difficult to differentiate between these two sensations and having this framework can be really helpful. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit more about this, this reassessing, this reflection practice, because I think if you are someone who might be prone to injury or you have a recurring injury that, you know, if you're, you're ever pushing the envelope, whatever your Achilles heel might be, whether it's your plantar fascia, Grayson, or my IT band syndrome, you know, every runner sort of has the chink in their armor, their weakest link. Um, when you do start reflecting and figuring out, okay, what has contributed to the injury? You know, you mentioned looking back on your training log. What are you actually looking for in the training? You know, are you looking, what kind of clues are going to tell you, okay, maybe that's the reason I got hurt or, you know, this, this combination of reasons, you know, what, what should runners be looking for when, when they're doing this? I first thing I look for is changes. Um, did I make a change to something? Like, did I start doing more speed work than normal? Um, did I start wearing even just wearing spikes more often than normal? Even if the workouts didn't change, could do it. Um, did I get new shoes in that time period? Also, did my lifting routine change? Like, changes tend to be for me at least when things pop up. Um, so making sure you're kind of aware and looking for those like changes. Like this year, I think I did do start doing more speed work than I have done in the past quickly on top of adding in hurdle workouts for steeplechase and wearing spikes more often. So it's kind of a triple whammy. And no wonder my planter got angry because that all puts a lot more stress on my planner. Um so like looking back, we can see, okay, obviously we can't do that next time, or at least not in that order, not that quickly. We need to go slower if we're going to do that again. Um, so that's good knowledge and info to move forward with too, for like going into the next season that can't just like jump into spikes immediately and add hurdles and add sprints all at the same time. I think one of the things that trips up a lot of runners is that they can start to experience an injury. And then when they go through this process of trying to reflect and figure out, okay, why did this injury happen? And they're looking for these changes in their training, you know, whether they've added something too quickly before they were ready for it. But how do you account for lifestyle changes too? Because your training could probably stay exactly the same, but things like sleep or stress or you know, even things like like travel and just logistical hassles, you know, which I'm sure you deal with as a pro runner who travels all around the world to race. You know, how do you think about the lifestyle issues that could impact your injury resilience as compared to the training changes? Because I think we understand the training changes, but the lifestyle stuff is is still a little bit tricky. Yeah, I think that people, it seems like not enough people have heard that stress is stress. And I think that we forget sometimes that our training doesn't happen in a vacuum and our lifestyle certainly influences our training and how we feel. And if you're working eight hours a day and then training, that impacts your training. Um, and I think for me, like the training logs, that's why I put the life section next to the training section every day. Cause I like to see like, oh, did I have six calls today and was I super stressed about something or I have a bunch of grad school homework that I'm working on and I'm stressed about that and even though I might not be on my feet it's still like stress on my central nervous system which will impact my training so I like to see all of that next to each other on purpose to make sure oh like uh, my foot started hurting the run was fine but that day I was also really stressed or I've been stressed for a whole week leading up to this so no wonder I'm kind of under the weather physically. Um, and I've had like one friend of mine, I think it was brilliant. She rates every day. I don't remember her scale, but like a plus or a minus, I think it was plus one, minus one or zero on her, like how she ended the day. Did she feel like dressed? So that's a minus one, neutral, zero, or did she feel energized plus one? And her goal by the end of the week was to be netting zero so that once you're adding up all of the days, uh, it's kind of a nice way to quantify your stress level and make sure that over weeks, you're not like always a negative and just piling negative weeks on top of each other. Um, 
And yeah, for me, I moved this spring and that was like the beginning of my injuries too. And moving is one of the like top three most stressful events in a person's life, apparently. Um, so I have no doubt that that was part of like my injuries too. And I uh, won't move next year. So <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to try to avoid the injuries with that too. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably a good plan. And and hopefully this call didn't add too much stress to your day. Hopefully this is no. just a, a fun conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I have been talking a lot about the real value in writing down your training in an analog training journal, a paper training journal, not just, you know, uploading all your workouts to Strava automatically. You know, I do that too. I have a Strava profile. I love Strava. It's great. But there's something about holding your training log in your hand. And you were mentioning how you have your training and lifestyle kind of right next to each other. Um, you know, the important part of that, as you did mention, is that you have your own training journal <laughs> that you have available for runners to purchase. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm looking over in the corner of my office. I have a pile of training logs <laughs> dating back to like 1999, cool. you know, when I had like the old runner's world log. And, and then I went to just a notebook and I wouldn't trade these for the world. Now, I, I also have your training journal over there in the corner. And, and I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit more about, you know, why is a hard copy training journal so valuable to runners? Why can't we just upload things to Strava? Yeah, I guess first I love Strava too. So this is not a knock to Strava and I have a Strava and follow me and I'll follow you. I love seeing like Strava, but that is for sure a social media platform. Um, and a training log, I think it, it goes a lot more in depth. It forces you to write down what you did. Your watch just doesn't get to automatically upload it. Um, I think sometimes on Strava, people just, I mean, I'm guilty. You just like let it upload and then there it is. And you don't even really think through what you did. So for me, like writing down what I did, uh, what the paces were, and you can be honest in your training log, what the paces were. No one's going to be looking at that, but that's like really for you to just look at and be honest with yourself. Um, you don't need to make things look better than they were just to make impress people. Um, so I think that's like a benefit too, is it should be a, a safe space for you to like truly understand your training. And then I write down like, how did I feel? Um, did anything feel weird? Did anything feel good, smooth, whatever? Um, did I have any weird thoughts like mentally too? Cause I think that's a great spot to keep track of your mental fitness as well. And like, was I really dreading this workout? Did I do really good at talking myself through with positive mantras? Like, I think those are also important things to make note of that that information like would not go on Strava. Um, cause most people don't really care like what you were thinking during your workout. But I think if you're trying to improve, that's definitely something you need to take into account. Um, especially that's a weakness of yours. If you're like quitting three quarters of the way through every workout. Um, maybe that's something to work on. So yeah, I just think it gives you a lot more options of reflection and introspection and just a chance to like be honest and truthful with yourself with no, hopefully no judgment uh, to just truly look at your training and make yourself better. And um, you don't have to get competitive either with anyone because it can be hard on Strava. Like getting segments is really fun, but I, it can also be, hard if you're watching all your friends run faster than you. And that's like an easy comparison trap to fall into. So I think having something written is like a great place to just be you and it's safe. Yeah. I think every runner has the experience of, you know, looking down at their watch with a mile to go and figuring out, Ooh, if I just ran 30 seconds yeah. faster, I'd get to this nice round number and I'd average this pace. And that would be impressive on Strava. And then you just run into all kinds of comparison trap problems right there. Yeah. But, you know, Grayson, I might disagree with you that folks aren't interested in what's going through your head in a workout. I, I think myself and many other runners would pay for a recording of what goes on in elite athletes' heads during brutal workouts <laughs> or races just to, 
just to get this like confirmation that you're people too, and you probably have self doubts, you probably have negative thoughts. Uh, if we could somehow record that inner monologue, I think that would be such a fascinating, you know, case study on mental toughness or, or in race anxiety. I, I would love that. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that I think w- we were just talking about that, that I want to highlight is, you know, this, the difference in information that is produced from an analog training journal and a uh, a Strava upload, for example. So if you're just automatically uploading all your stuff to Strava, you're uploading a lot of objective data, a lot of metrics. Whereas if you are recording all of your training in a training journal, there's so much more opportunity for recording all the subjective stuff, how you felt, what shoes you wore. I guess that's not subjective, but it's not going up there on Strava. And all the other things that I think are, are super important. Um, and so if any runner is, is sort of on the fence about, oh, do I really have to keep a paper training log? The real value is in the subjective data. Yeah. So Grayson, as you're kind of coming off these injuries, what's next for you? What's the game plan for you kind of heading into the tail end of 2022 and what you might do next year? Yeah, next year, I'm really excited. So the end of this year, we'll just be getting back to full training. Um, And then next year, don't have anything nailed down yet, but I do, I'm really interested in doing the Golden Trail series. So that will be exciting. Um, The World Champs is in June this year. So that's kind of different for mountain running. Um, So that's different because this year it was in November. And that was a huge part of my decision to pull out was there's only eight months in between the two this time. Um, So I didn't want a chance being still in an injury cycle in eight months. So we just pulled the plug and start over for the next one. So I want to do that. And then um, so a qualifying time for 2024 Olympic trials. So we've got some work to do. I think there's just so many races and I missed so many this year that I want to do them all now next year. Um, so I think my coaches and I are like, okay, we have to pick, like we can't do all of them, but I'm excited and hopefully I'll be able to do a lot more than I did this year. Now, what event are you going for an OTQ in? The marathon and then debut at trials. Um, Cause I, yeah, it's too much with all the trail races to fit it all in, in one year. So I'm going to have to just do the halftime. Okay. Are, are you, are you sort of done with the steeplechase at this point in your career? Even though like I did the steeplechase in college and I, I love it. It's like my fourth child. I think it's uh, <laughs> a crazy and wacky event that, yeah. that will always have a special place in my heart. But I also understand that it's so hard, not just a hard race to do well in, but it's also kind of hard in your body. Yeah. I think I just don't really enjoy track as much as I do road and trail running. So it's not that fun for me, um, especially when I'm like, oh, I have these other options that are way more fun. Like, why wouldn't I do those? So I think for me, track's going to be just kind of like a here and there. I don't think I'll devote a whole season to track again, um, but I'll jump in some track races and just try and get some PRs and stuff. But uh, I don't think it'll ever be my focus. Love it. Well, Grayson, I really hope that you get a handle on these injuries that you've had this year and 2023 is a lot better than 2022. Uh, So (laughs) thanks again for a really great conversation. Um, I'm going to include some links to your uh, training journal that folks want to check it out in the show notes for this episode. Uh, but if folks do want to go directly to it, is there a URL or where can they find it? Yep. Yeah. It's on my website, Racing Grayson. And just make sure there's like, if you're a US or Canada order, you're on a different site. And then if you're international outside of that, you're on a, a different site, but there's a link. So just click the right button. <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, thanks, Grayson. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to keep listening to this podcast, please support our sponsors who help me keep the show on every week and keep the lights on over here. 
use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running Podcast. First up, I want to hook you up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free gift with your first purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get a sample pack with every flavor so you can try them all out before deciding what you like best. Personally, I'm on a huge watermelon kick. I can't get enough watermelon. I'll have it every day. I think you'll love it too. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. I'm now in the habit of giving away boxes of Element at group runs around Denver and Boulder. Everyone loves this stuff. I even just bring it randomly when I meet with people for a coffee or a drink. People love it. It can also be really helpful to prevent dehydration when you're running long or you're doing really hard workouts. If you sometimes feel overly tired or you get headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness after long runs or workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions, so they never run out. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to get your free sample pack gift with a purchase, and you'll get your hydration optimized for the upcoming season. We're also sponsored by Inside Tracker company that's been around for more than 10 years to help you optimize your health, your longevity, and your performance. Learn more at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning. That'll save you 20% off on any blood test that they offer. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds and generic annual blood work usually doesn't properly evaluate your biological age. But Inside Tracker does. Inside Tracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow down the aging process. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and your fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. Add InnerAge 2.0 to any plan, and you'll be able to calculate your true biological age, and you can see how you're aging from the inside out. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash strengthrunning. That's insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. Okay, that's our show, my friends. Support us by using our sponsor links, reviewing the podcast, or getting a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. And I'm always here to help, so don't ever hesitate to reach out to me through the Strength Running site, or feel free to message me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is JasonFitz1. We'll be in touch soon. <laughs>